Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Prism Podcast. We tell the stories that Hollywood won't. I'm your host, Rodrigo Mariano. Hope you're all doing well. Across from me is a previous guest, um, Brendan Walker. Um, today we're talking about the Oscar ceremony. Um, it's Oscar week here at Emerson College, and it's obviously like our Super Bowl. Super exciting stuff. How are you doing today? Um, I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited to talk about all these categories. I know uh, it is definitely it is an interesting year to talk about the Oscars just because of like the lack of momentum going in, just given the fact that we haven't had in-person releases. And I would say that compared to previous years, the conversation around specifically the Best Picture nominees in the major categories just doesn't occupy the same level of like consciousness as like yeah. if you're looking at like last year's Oscar nods where you had, you know, Joaquin gunning it out with all these amazing actors for uh, best actor and everything, even the best picture race, you know, is Joker going to win? Is Parasite going to win? Like that level of um, that level of intrigue just isn't necessarily that level of intrigue and attention just isn't necessarily there this year. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, last year was a really great, I'm talking about 2019. That was a great year for landmark films and Parasite. So many great films came out that year, but obviously um, there is like a sentiment going around with the 2020 Oscar race that this is kind of an asterisk year. It's very different, structured very differently. Um, the cutoff date was in February, which is never happens. And the strategies of this, these various studios, they didn't really know how to go about doing their campaigns when it came to the Oscars and award season in general. So it's interesting seeing how films have creative momentum, created momentum during this time and also like waned during this process because they did not necessarily anticipate how subdued this season would be really. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's dive into it. Um, we're going to go through all of these categories. Um, I think there's 23 categories, Oscar mm -hmm. season. Uh, it's probably lower than last year because the sound categories are now in the same category which i don't really have a huge position on even though i did know the difference between sound editing and sound mixing mm. but we're vibing out here today uh let, let's start with best live action short two distant strangers the letter room feeling through the presence and uh white eye okay so the thing is with me with these shorts whenever like i, I watch them during the ceremony i'm like which one sounds the coolest? <laughs> yeah. I, um, so like, I don't really have anything to say regarding this matter, but I, I really do appreciate the artistry that goes into these shorts, even though I have not seen them and probably won't, which is too bad. I'll, I'll probably figure out something by the time Oscar night comes though, like for my final predictions. I don't, um, I kind of concur. Cause typically like when you're filling out Oscar ballots every year, cause uh, they're not super accessible. Usually like finding them can be just kind of a huge pain. I would say that as much as uh, I don't, I don't think either of us are particularly familiar with any of these films in the past, it is interesting to see like the level of filmmaking talent that kind of comes out of these. Um, I know specifically I was uh, talking about this with Rob before the podcast is the fact that um, Taika Waititi actually his first and uh, yeah, his first Oscar nomination was for best live action short and I think it was 2005 or 2006. And it's crazy to see that some of these filmmakers that get nominated in this category eventually gain like such a large platform and get nominated for uh, larger awards as well. But I don't really, um, I don't really have anything of note to say about this category otherwise. Yeah, going onward, uh, best documentary short, same, same type of sentiment as well. Uh, these people worked really hard on these, but unfortunately I haven't watched them. I know in theaters that they usually have them compiled into like one 90 minute feature featuring all of these shorts, but one day I'll do all of that, but I guess this year wasn't that year either. Um, let's just keep on going because it's the same exact thing. Best yeah. animated short. I did get to see one of these. Usually 
this category is occupied by Pixar. They're not in the in the conversation this year, but best animated short includes If Anything Happens, I Love You, which is a short on Netflix about the aftermath of a school shooting and what happens to um, how, how the parents process grief in that front. And it is like a really, really beautiful short. Um, and I recommend anyone who hasn't seen it to go out and watch it because it, it does deal with grief in a very unique way. And the artistic style is pretty marvelous if you ask me. So if I were to predict something, if anything happens, I love you, but only because that's the only one I've seen. That sounds, um, that sounds incredibly gripping. I'm going to, I have not seen um, any of these. I will be checking that out immediately after this podcast. Um, but yeah, that the same sentiment in this category kind of goes to the other short categories for me. Okay. Now that we got all the shorts categories out of the way with little to no knowledge of what's happening within them, um, best international film is up. Do you have any uh, particular uh, film that you want to champion? Um, I would say of all of these, I think another round is the most likely to win in this category simply because of the uh, Thomas Vinterberg, the, uh, the uh, best director nomination. And also another round was one of my 10 favorite films of last year. I think the premise for it is just absolutely bonkers. So for those of you who don't know, it's essentially, um, so it's about this group of, uh, I think they're, I forget what country they're from, uh, Scandinavian school teachers. And basically they're all sitting in a bar one day and they're talking about uh, 18th and 19th century philosophy. And there's this old proverb that essentially goes like, oh, if you have like 0.4 blood alcohol level, you're more creative and you're more productive. So all these school teachers basically sit down and they're like, well, what if we just start drinking at work and see what happens? And the whole film sort of chronicles this uh, just incredibly absurd uh, social experiment. Uh, and it actually goes to some really interesting and dark places. And it also uh, has uh, probably my favorite performance of Mad Mads Mikkelsen's career in it as well. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Mads Mikkelsen and, and the whole entire cast in this movie absolutely uh, um, throw it out of the park here. Like uh, Thomas Vinterberg is really great when he directs it. Um, it's interesting how it's called another round here, but in um, Danish where this company, oh my God, why am I like stumbling over my words today? Uh, <laughs> it's called Druk, which um, more correlates to like binge drinking or being drunk. I wish they kept that title here because it very much embodies more of like, oh, these dudes are just drunk. They're straight up drunk throughout the whole entire thing. And it's just like marvelous to watch. I love seeing Mads Mikkelsen and a bunch of old dudes just drinking in front of school students and doing their whole thing. I, I wish more people did that here. I'm, I'm messing, but yeah. I mean, who, who knows? Uh, they did yeah. cross the line in which like the study does recommend. Like maybe if they found that perfect like balance point, who knows? But that's... <laughs> doesn't have to do with Oscar season, really. No, no. <laughs> so best documentary feature. Um, I haven't seen any of these except Time, which is a very, very gripping documentary, which is out on Amazon. But I've been hearing a lot of buzz on My Octopus Teacher. My Octopus Teacher, I've been hearing a lot of buzz in recent weeks as well. I'm not super familiar with this category. Um, one of my roommates, actually, um, when I told him I was going on the show, was uh, very avidly interested in, in Crip Camp and its subject matter. Um, although, again, I can't really speak that much to this category. Although My Octopus Teacher and Crip Camp have been the two that I've been hearing the most about in a lot of conversations. Kind of bummed that Boy State wasn't nominated this year, if we're being honest here. I, I watched that after um, you said it was one of your favorites of 2020 and I thought it was like really gripping I love all the boys there and it's just like rocky for boys in Texas who take yeah. up 
politics during high school <laughs> yeah it's um i was kind i was really surprised to see that it didn't actually i don't uh, i'm not even 100 sure if it was submitted but i think if it i think if it was there i think if, i really think it would have just won far and away just because compared to a lot of documentaries i've seen even just in the past four or five years i know boy state i'm talking about a movie that isn't even really nominated for an oscar but just the way it sort of crafts a narrative around its subjects in a way that still manages to be objective but also just you were really just invested in these four or five young boys that this whole documentary is watching it's, it's fascinating i'm really surprised it didn't get nominated yeah no i i totally agree but uh crip camp does sound really really interesting it's produced by the obamas under their production company on netflix i might have to check it out But besides yeah. that, I guess my octopus teacher is like the favorite, really, um, mm -hmm. which I hear is very absurd. I have friends who have seen it and they're like, it's really odd, but the octopus is really lovable. Maybe I'll have to go to see that before Honestly, Oscar yeah. and I. <laughs> yeah. So moving to best animated feature, uh, Soul, Wolf Walkers, Onward, Over the Moon, and Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon. Let's break these down. Why don't we? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I feel like Soul is pretty, I, I'd say it's the wide favorite for this category. It's my, it's my prediction to win. I think it's what should win. And I think it is uh, what will win. I think it is interesting the way that uh, Pixar has just historically dominated this category over the past 20 years. Cause there, there is this kind of growing sentiment that I think it is kind of an issue in the, uh, the best animated feature category that typically it is just a Pixar film. And a lot of the time there are some, there are some odd films that have been nominated in the best animated feature category over the past couple of years. If I'm, if I'm correct, the boss baby does have a best animated feature Oscar nomination. I need to check yeah. on that. I need to know if that's yeah. true or not. Like the, um, I will say like the quality in this category uh, can be incredibly wide ranging. Although this year it is pretty stacked. I've seen, so I've seen onward and I have seen, over the moon, uh, Soul uh, was it, Soul just barely made my top ten of last year, uh, so I do have some level of emotional connection to it. I think it's also, I also have it picked as my winner for best original score as well. Just the way it uses music is unlike anything I've seen in a really, really long time. Uh, and even the vo the voice acting is just great. I love Jamie Foxx and most things I see him in, and he's great in this too. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Soul is one of those movies. Really, in the past five years, I really thought about it a lot after I saw it. After I saw it, I was like, what, what are they trying to say here? And it really is a very existential film, considering the fact that it's a kid's movie. And I like how they tackle those mature, really, really mature themes in, in the avenue of animation, which makes it very accessible for literally anyone who tries to tackle this movie and the themes head on. And really, it's just overtly creative. And it is Pixar's first Black lead as well. The, the, the whole entire narrative surrounds him and his music career and like it's just so visually gorgeous and stunning can't help yeah. not to look at this movie as something that is um less any less than extraordinary extraordinary feat for pixar um they've been just getting better and better when it comes to their animation in general it kind of sucks that i had to see this in like a small tv screen rather than the movie theater because both like the sound design and the animation are just so so stunning i can't believe that i wasn't able to see that on the big screen but I was able to see Wolf Walkers um, a few weeks ago. I saw Wolf Walkers and I thought it was pretty magnificent as well. If this wasn't a normal like Pixar year and also like Pixar is kind of, this movie is one of their home runs. They haven't been hitting a great batting average over the past decade, but Soul is one of their best movies as of late. If it 
Pixar was a little bit off their game, Wolfwalkers would be immensely in the conversation when it comes to winning this category because Wolfwalkers takes this whole entire Celtic mythology and really creates a great spin on it through like 2D animation, very lovable characters. And it's a very classic narrative that you can't help but to love. Like these characters are incredible. The animation is incredible. It's so nice seeing a 2D feature this prominently in uh, the public eye nowadays when the art form is considered like dead, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, so I, I'd say all in all, I, I do think Soul is going to win in this category. I have not had the, uh, the pleasure of seeing Wolfwalkers, although that does sound really lovely. I, we do need more 2D animation, so I'm actually really excited to see that. I've seen Onward or Over the Moon. Um, I've seen uh, I've seen Onward, which I wasn't a particularly big fan of. If I'm being 100 percent honest, I'd say I put that in my lower tier of Pixar films. I do under I do know people that absolutely adore that movie, just didn't necessarily connect in the same uh, way with me. But uh, Soul, I would agree, Soul is probably one of their home runs of the past decade. Just the uh, I think the the way that Pixar has sort of expanded in the last decade and the amount that they're uh, pumping out year to year has kind of really diluted the quality of what they're making. I think Onward is kind of endemic of that but i think soul is soul is genuinely one of the best things they've ever made yeah pete doctor is really one of the goats when it comes to pixar inside out up soul this guy really knows his shit when it comes to storytelling and seems like a really chill guy i watched an interview with him and he just talks about things with such passion and such drive like he obviously a very very creative individual um moving on to the next category Best visual effects, we got Tenet, The Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, Love and Monsters. I am, I'm a little biased here because I do want to see <laughs> Tenet walk away with something. I'm going to say Tenet. I'm not 100% sure um, if it if it'd win, but uh, frankly, just the amount of effects work that went into that movie, um, just the amount of, uh, just the amount of money that went into that film and the amount of money that went into visual effects, I, I I hope it walks away with something. Yeah, um, I agree that Tenet's probably going to take it. One pattern that I notice when it comes to the visual effects category in the Oscars, it usually goes to number one, the most realistic film, but also the most realistic film that has prestige. So like in a year that would have like an Avengers Infinity War, First Man would win or like, um, like one of the, one of the apes trilogy movies in a year that that would happen where Andy Serkis breaks new ground when it comes to VFX interstellar would still win. They're still like, yeah. they gravitate towards more prestige visual effects movies. If that makes sense. But like, yeah. 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 And also when it comes to tenant, the thing is like, um, when I was reading up on it, tenant doesn't really have that many visual effects. I remember reading one of the VFX supervisors, or someone who worked on the film saying that Tenet has as much um, VFX shots as like a rom-com really, because everything was done so practically, but yeah. just the way that everything is edited and the way it's directed makes it feel so grand and amazing in that front. And I just have to commend Christopher Nolan by putting the filmmaking back in film really. Like this guy oh. keeps on doing crazy shit. Consistently, consistently, <laughs> yeah. I honestly don't know what the man's going to do next. He's an absolute beast of a director. Like, yeah. 
I'm yeah, I'm on, I'm trying not to think about what he's doing next. hundred, if I'm hundred percent honest, because the whole thing is, is I don't think we're going to be able to figure out what he's doing next. That's the whole thing. Cause I don't think either of us would have seen what he did with Tenet coming after Dunkirk. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to let the man work in peace. Yeah. I wonder at the end of the day when his like career is over and he's like resting on a grateful film community or whatever he perceives as, uh, what what should be grateful, what his catalog is going to look like, because it does feel so diverse and like just all out crazy. I wonder if we'll end up having more hits and misses and if the highs are going to stay super high or if the lows will just get lower. It, he's a really interesting filmmaker and it's just like, what? yeah, what is he going to do next? Maybe it's better not to think about it like you said. Yeah. Right. Moving on to best sound. Um, I think we all know what best sound should be but sound yeah. of metal soul mank news of the world and greyhound i don't think this is i don't think there's much of a conversation other than the fact that the sound of metal has this category locked up by far and away i will say the sound of metal uh, for its sound design alone is one of few movies i've ever seen that i would recommend watching with a laptop and headphones just so you can fully just immerse yourself in the way that it actually simulates hearing loss in a pretty terrifying, at points terrifying, but also just incredibly realistic, incredibly gratifying way um, that I don't think we'll ever see done in film again, really. No, I totally agree. And on top of that, it does have sound in its title. So I don't, I don't see why voters would, would go against that. But the thing is, um, during one of the precursors, one of like the sound editor awards, it didn't go to sound of metal at all. It like, let me let me look it up. Um, sound. Yeah, yeah. Like it went to to Greyhound, and like interesting. But the thing is that precursor doesn't really um, line up with Oscars in general. But it is interesting. I would, yeah, because I would say just for the, like, if you're looking at all the other films in the category, uh, The Sound of Metal is completely, like, I haven't seen a film uh, maybe ever that's just so complete, like, the entire cinematic experience is completely dependent on its sound design. I do wish I had the privilege of uh, seeing it in a theater just so, uh, just to really get that experience. But if you are watching it at home, which I think most people are, it is definitely 100% watch that with a laptop and headphones just so you can fully get that experience. But yeah, it's just so completely, its soundscape is so completely immersive compared to every other nominee that if it goes to anything else, uh, I, I don't really see why. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Um, moving on to best song. We have Speak Now from One Night in Miami. Pusevic from Eurovision Song Contest. Um, you'll see from Scene... Fight for You from Judas and the Black Messiah and Hear My Voice from The Trial of the Chicago Seven. I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, so Yossi is actually from uh, The Life Ahead. I'm going to go with uh, Yossi because I'm being, uh, Yossi won at the, uh, the Golden Globes. Uh, and if I'm being 100% honest, this is, compared to previous years, best original song, I feel like there's typically, there's typically a song on this that charts. Uh, and really none of these, none of these tracks this year have that sort of like wide, traction like there's nothing like the black panther soundtrack standing out with like a kendrick lamar single or something there's no um there's no adele there's no like there isn't there isn't really a particularly big hitting uh vocalist in this category and there isn't really 
a particularly big hitting song in this category. Like I haven't heard one of these get like massive airplay. So I'm simply just going to go with the one I'm, if I'm being 100% awesome, going with the one I most recently saw uh, win into the major award show. Word. Um, I'm going Husevic from Eurovision Song Contest because I feel like it's the only one of these movies that actually implements the music within the feature. And just by that alone, um, it's possible. But also the song is really gorgeous. And if you've seen Eurovision Song Contest, this is a really, really bonkers movie that I liked for some reason. I remember watching it. I'm sitting there with my family and I was like, at the end of it, I was like, this is one of the best things I've seen this year. Because it was so early on in the year, nothing's come out yet. Mm -hmm. And literally nothing has come out because it's the pandemic. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I saw a new movie. And... (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Basically, yeah, it is it is very charming. It's based on this like Scandinavian North Northern Europe country European country and they I, I actually I think it's Norwegian, but they sing this song about the town at the end and it's really heartfelt and tugs on the heartstrings and I don't know. I have a soft spot for this movie, low key, and it's one of the only good things that Will Ferrell has done in the past, like decade really yeah but also worth noting um speak now with uh leslie odom jr at the helm singing that song can't go wrong with his pipes and maybe like the hamilton momentum which is still a thing that's going on like four years after the debut of the show will um boost him up maybe maybe yeah um i'm gonna say so moving on to the uh, moving on to the uh, next category for staying in you know in the music land, uh, we have best original score. Which actually I wanted to note because this is the only category uh, Spike Lee's *The Five Bloods* got a nomination in, which I thought was particularly interesting. Um, as I thought that film actually deserved a lot more love than it got from the Academy. No, I totally agree. But the score is really good in *The Five Bloods*. I'm not gonna lie. Terrence Blanchard, right? That's the composer yeah. of *The Five Bloods*. He also yeah. did *Black Klansman*. If I'm not wrong but um obviously it is such a tragedy that the five bloods was not nominated for best picture or best actor or best supporting actor or any production design nominations because it is really spikely going all cylinders when it comes to filmmaking this is a a tale that spans the globe and um talks about how war never ends like thematically very very strong movie i guess it just really lost momentum post when it was released in june which kind of sucks but yeah i I think um i I am i have come to the conclusion that i think because it came out so early in the year and i think that actually uh it was prepped for a pretty big theatrical run pre-pandemic like netflix was actually going to release it pretty widely in similar scale to black Klansman. the whole thing was is it sort of released on streaming it got a bunch of critical claim immediately and then netflix kind of didn't necessarily put the same amount of resources as it did into um some of its other projects when it came to oscar season uh but yeah, so the other uh, the other films nominated in this category include, so we have The Five Bloods, we have Mank, uh, we have Minari, uh, we have News of the World, and we have Soul. Um, I'd say that my, I think the favorite for this category is probably Soul. It won at the Globes, it's won in a bunch of major award shows. You can't really go wrong with Trent Reznor. Um, also, I would say, I would love to see Minari get some love in this category, though, because that score is sneaky good. That, that score is sneaky good. Who is that by, by the way? I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, I was gonna say yeah, because um I was a big fan of I was a big fan of Minari score. Um, but I, I really think that uh, Soul is a really strong hold on this category. Although if I were to really 
if I were to probably rank my favorite in this category, it would still be, I think it would be the, the five bloods just simply, uh, cause I mean, the five bloods and solar, obviously both like very jazz heavy scores, but the whole thing is I think the five bloods uses it in a really interesting and dramatic way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with the soul sentiment. Um, that score is among the strongest, even though it's not anything that Trent Reznor and Ahed Kids Ross have, haven't done before. It is still worth noting because like these guys deserve it all really. Um, news of the world, Thomas Newman's in there because he's Thomas Newman. The Minari score is really, really great. Uh, Mank, Trent Reznor and Ahed Kids Ross going at it again. I love how they um, kind of repurpose their talents towards classical, more, uh, um, just verbose feeling music for yeah, away the time group. period in Mank. Yeah. But so um, the way that whole entire score is structured with John Baptiste's uh, jazz compositions tossed in there as well, it, it's just very well-balanced and well-rounded. Yeah. Say. Um, so moving on again, uh, we have, uh, sorry, I think we might actually be looking at a different list. I would say, so moving, uh, kind of staying in the same lane, I was looking at the uh, the best sound category, uh, which uh, actually, no, we already we already did best. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Let's move on to best production design. So best production design has Mank, Moraney's Black Bottom, News of the World, The Father, and Tenet. Hmm. I had to... If I had to pick one here, um, I'd probably go with, uh, if I had to pick one here, I'd probably pick Mank. Just because I was really impressed with how, I was just really impressed with how that movie looked overall. Uh, it wasn't, uh, it was actually smaller, but I remember we had this conversation on the last uh, pod I was on. It was actually smaller budget than I initially imagined. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure how much that was. I think, it, I think it was in the 30, $40 million range. And for with, uh, with just 30 to $40 million, they really, they did make a pretty immersive environment that does feel like old Hollywood in both, you know, scale and atmosphere. Um, additionally, you know, tenants in this category, tenant doesn't really, I, I love Christopher Nolan. Don't get me wrong. We've both, we could both wax poetic about Christopher Nolan for hours, but I don't think it does anything uh, with its production design that I haven't seen Nolan do before in terms of the way with sort of he messes in, uh, with environments and everything. And um, if I'm also looking, I also just uh, full disclaimer, I have not seen the father uh, because I have not been able to find the father uh, on streaming anywhere. I, uh, I'm aware that it is playing in person. I just haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. Um, so yeah. Um, to speak on the father, since you haven't seen it, they do really, really sneaky stuff when it comes to production design. It takes place in one location really. And the fact that Anthony Hopkins is dealing with um, cognitive memory loss, he perceives the same environment in so many different ways throughout the whole entire feature. And if I were to pick a movie for best production design, it would be the father just based on not only its momentum towards the end of Oscar season, but the fact that it is so sneaky good when it comes to how that production is handled. Um, just down to the minute details, he, like the whole movie very much uses the environment to its advantage in a way that is very, very unique. But obviously to speak on the others as well, News of the World has pretty great production design, um, obviously bringing filmmaking back to the old Western. And um, 
not to knock uh Maureen's black bottom too like a very very tight movie that takes place mostly in two rooms but what they do with those two rooms is so visually stunning like um we're going to go to later categories that um have this at the forefront as well but just the whole all-around production of that movie is is great with the little that they have it, it feels so impactful but my choice for this category is, is the father Um, so the next category is best makeup and hairstyling. Um, yeah, for me, it's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, well, what they do to capture that time period is pre pretty stunning when it comes to how they, like, I heard this one story when it comes to the wig that Viola Davis wears in that movie. Um, when it comes, when it came, like, the horse head wig was actually full of, like, manure and all that bad shit. Oh my so God. like, I guess they were taking authenticity to the next level when it comes to Maureen's black bottom and creating a wig out of actual horsehair with manure. Like, and, and she decided to wear it too. I guess that added to more authenticity. So just based on that alone, that is, is pretty huge in my opinion. But Definitely. for the rest of that category, we have Hillbilly Elegy, Mank, Pinocchio, and Emma. Yeah, I'd probably go with you in picking Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in this category. I will say again, with the uh, the costuming and the makeup and the hairstyling categories of the Oscars, you typically do see one uh, less prestigious film get nominated here, uh, that being Hillbilly Elegy this year, uh, which is, I have had the um, displeasure of sitting really? five. It is, I am very, like, the, so the book it's based on is particularly interesting and the subject matter, so it's about this, um, this young man uh, from uh, basically from incredibly low income, uh, incredibly low income part of Appalachia. And um, so it talks about his experience in the American welfare state and his mom sort of growing up uh, with a uh, mother who was an addict and um, essentially then kind of making it out and then dealing with his family and then sort of dealing with the environment around him. And so the premise itself is particularly interesting uh, and the acting is fine i did find it interesting because glenn close was nominated for an oscar for this film i don't necessarily think that was disturbed at all um but i will say when it comes to the uh the hair when it comes to the hair and makeup uh hair and makeup for this movie it is they do a particularly good job because amy adams is playing uh amy adams is playing an addict of uh 10 plus years and they do do her best to uh essentially you know really capture that feeling with her makeup and hair in addition to glenn close uh playing a woman who is almost 80 years old so Power to them for that, I guess. Not a particularly great movie overall, but that typically does happen uh, with some of these technical categories. Uh, I would say I'm I'm more interested in Emma. I'm not 100% sure if Emma was nominated in the uh, costume design category. They do some really interesting stuff with their makeup and hairstyling. Anything, uh, you know, anything Jane Austen related, you can get particularly interesting with with sort of that period, uh, that period filmmaking when it comes to your, your hair and makeup. Uh, but yeah, I would probably, I would also pick Ma Rainey's Black Bottom simply for the level of authenticity they actually, uh, they brought to the project. I totally agree. Um, next category is Best Film Editing. We have Sound of Metal, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Nomadland, The Father, and Promising Young Woman. I think it'll be Trial of Chicago Seven. Just based on the fact that it is a lot to juggle when it comes to editing in general. And I feel like the Academy will kind of see that. And in addition to that, um, I feel like this category does favor crowd pleasers. 
I yeah, I I'd, I'd concur with you. My my pick that I'd really like to see um my, my the two picks I'd really like to see win this category would be Sound of Metal and Nomadland. Um typically when Aaron Sorkin's projects are nominated for something with the Academy, they are typically rewarded. Um so I I probably concur. I, I like the way uh, I wasn't a particularly big fan of the Trial of Chicago 7 overall, but uh, all of the scene, all of the courtroom scenes and the way that they're cut and everything, I think are done in a really interesting engaging way cuz like maintaining um you know audience attention audience attention in that tight of a space and also making it, you know, not look like a mess is something particularly difficult uh, to pull off. So I think I'd, I'd probably concur with you on that one. Shout out to Sound of Metal though. Yeah, that oh. does have some great editing as well. Um, the next category is best costume design. Um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Emma, Mank, Mulan, and Pinocchio. Um, yeah, just building off of what we were saying about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in general, like absolutely gorgeous um the costumes that they put together the whole entire production makeup hair styling everything that has to do with the personable facets of that whole entire movie is 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 really stunning um not to put down like emma mank mulan i haven't seen anything at all when it comes to pinocchio so i can't speak on that either all of these have really great um costume design and it's always great to see the talent that is put into these technical categories that I might not be as into as everything else, but it is like all these are gorgeous, honestly. Yeah, when it comes to the when it comes to this category as previously, I would also probably pick Ma Rainey's Black Bottom also just because of the momentum it's generated. But I I was particularly impressed with Emma's costuming. I am a sucker for pretty much any period style filmmaking. I will say um, Emma was released pretty early in 2020. I think it was probably March. It was around the time that the pandemic started. So that's probably why it isn't necessarily getting as much buzz. Although the technical category is never really the stars of the show um, at the Academy, but I'd, I'd probably agree with you on Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, though Emma does have some very, very pretty costuming. Yeah. So we're, we're going up to the uh, higher tier categories a little bit. Uh, best cinematography. We have Nomadland, Mank, News of the World, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah in the Trial of the Chicago Seven. I'd probably I'd probably go with uh, one of Nomadland or Judas and the Black Messiah in this category. Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah is definitely a winner when it comes to that February cutoff. Uh, that being later than normal because it otherwise really wouldn't have been able to get nominated for uh, Oscars. Um, I was really, really impressed with the way that movie was shot, also considering uh, that for Shaka King uh, direct, directing that and also just um, organizing that shoot. That was his first feature as well. So I was particularly impressed with the way that that looked and everything. Uh, but Nomadland uh, by far is one of the prettiest things I've seen um, ever, period. I'm just really impressed with the way that movie looks. So I'd probably give it to Nomadland. Yeah. Um, I would give it to uh, Nomadland as well. Uh, Joshua James Richard, who often works with Chloe Chow, is um, phenomenal when it comes to that movie. But um, like you were saying earlier, Judas and the Black Messiah has some really, really gorgeous cinematography. Um, Sean Bobbitt, um, from what I've heard, this is his first Oscar nomination after so many hits, so many hits in the field. I was shocked when I heard it was his first um, foray into the academy when it comes to being nominated but good for him for finally getting his due because he totally deserves it no matter what he makes really um just what he does with coloring with lighting the way that he manages the camera is uh, something to behold for sure 
I was going to say, when it comes to Juice and Black Messiah, a very uh, significant thing to note with that movie is typically when it comes to cinematographers working with predominantly Black casts, a lot of the time, uh, this is something that's actually come up uh, at film school a couple of times, is a lot of cinematographers aren't really properly uh, taught how to light and shoot people of color and actually, you know, accommodate for that tone. Uh, but Bobbitt does a really, really good job with that throughout this film. That's definitely something that compared to um, compared to a lot of filmmaking just isn't necessarily like, it's not something that really gets talked about that much, especially, you know, entry level in film school and also just in the industry as well. That That is a huge problem. And this film uh, does an excellent job of accounting for that and does it really, really well. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, as for the rest of the nominees, um, we have Mank uh, with Eric Messerschmitt, which is a gorgeous film as well. But interestingly, The Trial of the Chicago 7 was here which I'm not necessarily mad at, but considering um, other movies that could have been in this category, it does fall flat in comparison with the rest of these nominees. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I was pretty shocked to see, I was pretty shocked to see that there as well, honestly. Um, just kind of like looking, yeah, looking at, looking at it in comparison to the other categories. I was also, I have not seen News of the World, so I can't really speak to its cinematography at all i was particularly surprised to see that movie get a couple of oscar nominations as well um I, again i can't really speak to it but yeah that was also kind of a surprise to see for best original screenplay we have promising young woman the trial of the chicago seven minari sound of metal and judas and the black messiah i i'd probably if i'm if i'm looking at this I think the trial of the Chicago seven will win because it's Sorkin nominated for a screenwriting category. And I think the Academy will reward him uh, regardless. Again, we have very differing opinions on this movie. So <laughs> I'll probably hear about that in a second. Uh, the, the film I would love to see win this is promising young woman, because I think that was probably uh, from a script standpoint, probably my favorite film of last year. Uh, conceptually, I was also a particularly big fan of Minari's and the sound of metal. The sound of metal is just a concept. Uh, but yeah, those would be the three I would love to see win. Although in reality, I think it's probably the trial of Chicago sevens category to lose. Yeah. Yeah. We have talked about uh trial of the Chicago seven extensively before. And while I do really adore this movie, just based, it's based on the fact that it's Aaron Sorkin at his most arrogant and the, the screenplay is very, very snappy and full of content. And that's, as much as I could really say about it. I do really, really love the movie though. Um, the screenplay is definitely the biggest strength um, as opposed to the directing. So I'm glad that he didn't get a directing nom, but I, I feel like it is very likely that the trial of Chicago seven will garner this award just based on the fact that Sorkin is really a veteran when it comes to the Academy and just the industry in general, like they're like for a lot of people, Aaron Sorkin is the entry to, basically what they perceive as screenwriting in general. So mm -hmm. I think just based on that, uh, it will be re rewarded. Like he has such a great reputation with everyone involved. But like you were saying, Promising Young Woman, we can't count that out either. Um, Emerald Farrell, Fennell, Fennell, right? Emerald Fennell. Fennell. Um, yeah, she both directs and writes this movie, right? Yes. And yeah, no, and this screenplay is absolutely incredible as well. But I feel like those are definitely the two in most contention with best original screenplay, even though Minari, Sound of Metal, Judas and Black Messiah all have pretty fantastic screenplays. Um, I can't complain if anyone really wins this one. Would you have a problem if Aaron Sorkin wins at all? 
I don't, I don't necessarily think I'd have a problem just because I my so my opinion on the trial of Chicago seven is I think it has some really good ideas. I just don't necessarily, I don't, I think that, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the best thing that Aaron Sorkin's made. And I think that if his name wasn't Aaron Sorkin, I don't necessarily think it would be getting the same love from the Academy. I think it is part of just the goodwill that he's built up over time. And that is fine. Um, he's a world-class screenwriter. I do not rate him as a director that much at all. That's a, um, that's a different conversation entirely. So I wouldn't necessarily be displeased if he wins this category, but I would really love to see some new blood there. I was also, I completely forgot to talk about Judas and Black Messiah uh, because I am a particularly big fan of uh, the Lucas brothers who helped, uh, uh, who helped with the story development for this film and also the screenplay uh, because they were actually, they're predominantly, they work in comedy uh, mainly. Uh, and this yeah. was kind of their big pivots in a dramatic uh dramatic screenwriting and everything. And it was also, again, one of my favorite scripts of last year and also one of my uh, favorite films of this year as well, because it is a 2021 film, uh, technically, although, again, I kind of just put it in the context of 2020 films if we're talking about the Oscars. Um, but yeah, so again, I, again, if Sorkin wins, that's cool, that's fine. I love to see a guy, you know, get in his bag, but I would much rather see someone like Emerald Fennell of the Lucas Brothers win in this category. Yeah, no, uh, I remember um, seeing the Lucas Brothers first in 22 Jump Street. I'm like, Wow, <laughs> I didn't yeah. know they were capable of creating something like this. Very bombastic screenplay that really uh, man, it makes you think. I um, also want to shout out Derek Sianfrance and uh, Darius Martyr for Sound of Metal. Um, Derek Sianfrance made like literally one of my favorite films ever, uh, Place Beyond the Pines. And it was oh, it's just oh, nice yeah, seeing I... him here in this category, being nominated for I... an Oscar. I actually had no idea he was involved with the, uh, the place beyond the pines at all. That's actually, that's, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Apparently he was initially supposed to direct sound of metal. And in fact, uh, they were going to do a more verite esque take on the thing. They actually started production by halfway through. He like kind of abandoned it. I totally forgot why and the reasoning behind that, but he decided to give the material to um, Darius Martyr instead and then create that from the ground up with his own identity, which is pretty interesting. I, you don't really hear that much about um, established directors starting to make an indie film and they're just like, okay, I kind of give up. Yeah, typically. And then toss it over, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, typically if a filmmaker leaves a project halfway through, someone else is kind of brought in to finish the vision that's actually there. You typically don't get the chance to kind of just tear the whole thing down and start over. That, wow, dang. I, I think he was filming it as a documentary falling in, a real band and then he was like yeah i don't really see any more potential in me doing this and then toss it over to darius martyr which is still very very interesting uh interesting origin story for a sound of metal but um after that best adapted screenplay we have nomadland the father one night in miami borat subsequent movie film and the white tiger I would probably, I would also probably pick Nomadland uh, for this category. I am very appreciative of the Borat subsequent movie film we were getting in the Oscars, specifically in the Best Supporting Actress category for Maria Baklova as well. Um, but I am picking Nomadland for this category. I think it's the favorite, as it is in a lot of the categories that's been nominated for this year. Um, but yeah, I was also interested. Uh, one Night in Miami's screenplay, also one of my favorites of the year. I remember wa watching... Um, I remember watching that actually at the beginning of the semester and just being blown away with the amount of uh, just the amount of tension that that script generates, just uh, 
similar to what you were talking about with Mom Rainey's Black Bottom, it is a film that predominantly takes place in one room and the amount of uh, just, you know, the amount of space that that sort of, that amount of, like the amount of space and the amount of intensity that uh, that dialogue creates in just a single room uh, with that script is one of my favorite things I've seen this year. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that sentiment. Um, just going back to your original screenplay for two seconds, I just wish Palm Springs was in there or Soul was in there, just throwing that out there. Palm Springs would have been, I would, I would have loved to have seen Palm Springs in there. I don't know. Yeah. Soul would have been a great shot as well, but Palm Springs getting any love at a major award show aside from the Golden Globes. It um, is a win. <laughs> excellent. Yeah. It would be, be incredible. Yeah. But going back to best adapted screenplay, I think this one is Nomad Blands to lose. Um, that screenplay is just so authentic and the way that Chloe Chow, um, makes her characters as extensions of the actual actors who play them is a very valiant thing. And I'll, we'll, I'm sure, go into that more when we talk about best director. But as for the other um, contenders in this category, Borat, subsequent movie film, delivery of prestigious bride to American regime for Make Benefit, Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan is a contender that exists in the Oscars this year. Um, I'm pretty sure they were nominated or maybe even won best adapted screenplay back when Borat one was in the running when it comes to the academy in general but the crazy thing is there's like one two three four five six seven eight nine my god that's a lot of people to be involved in writing a screenplay yeah and if you're creating something this big in scale with so many sketches i guess that makes sense but wow like the fact that they're all credited is ludicrous and if they win they all get oscars that's crazy it's the group project where everyone wins exactly probably the greatest group project of all <laughs> ever yeah i'm so i'm just looking at this category again so we have again the father which i have not seen the white tiger which i have uh, also not seen i wish i was a little bit more familiar with this category um but yeah i i do find it very interesting because again prior to um again prior to this sort of this oscars run-up i wasn't particularly familiar with the amount of awards attention that even the original Borat got for its screenplay and just the amount of like, in addition to just being a huge film uh, in a wider cultural context that actually did surprisingly well with critics and, uh, you know, critical award shows. Yeah. Props to Sasha Baron Cohen, like the, the mastermind of it all. Like he, he's really all over this award season in a super, yeah. super unexpected way, which is welcome to see because like he, he, he deserves it. Um, I kind of wish Ma Rainey, was in the running for this category um, that didn't happen but um, shout out to the white tiger which i was able to see um, they adapt the book of which um, the movie is based quite wonderfully and with a lot of humor and a lot of heart as well so i respect um raman barani very much and he deserves this screenplay nom i'm very happy to see him here gotcha you know, uh, speaking of Sasha Baron Cohen, just sort of looking at this, um, looking at this actor in a supporting role category, we can also now call him Oscar nominee Sasha Baron Cohen for the trial mm. of Chicago 7. Uh, additionally, we have in this category, we have Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. We have Lakeith Stanfield also for Judas and the Black Messiah, which is an interesting topic of conversation. Uh, Paul Racy for The Sound of Metal. Absolutely love to see that one. And Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Um, yeah, this one's pretty much a lock for me. Daniel Kaluuya, who is an absolute powerhouse, um, exhibiting like everything I've seen him do in Steve McQueen movies and like previously. This man's just an incredible actor and will go down as one of the greats when all is said and done. And he spends 
like years in this field. But yeah, Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton, he nailed that voice. He nailed everything like when it comes to how that whole entire movie culminates around this singular character. He it just tears the whole entire house down. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I was going to say, it is definitely, I think it actually, it, it might be the best performance of Kaluuya's career so far. I was going to say, it was particularly interesting for me to see Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield get mm-hmm. nominated in this category and how Warner Brothers strategized that because um, if you're looking at it from like, uh, you know, how they're credited, Lakeith is technically the lead character in the film. So how he was um, nominated for best supporting, I am particularly interested by. Uh, one of the weird uh, parallels I was actually thinking of when it came to sort of the Oscar campaign, though they weren't nominated the way that A24 actually uh, campaigned for Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe's nominations as they both had them in the supporting category. Oh, really? Um, yeah, which is interesting to me because I wouldn't think that you'd want two actors from the same film sort of like uh, like splitting like splitting votes in the category, but I guess because the critical consensus and the voter consensus at a lot of award shows is overwhelmingly favored in Kaluuya. I don't necessarily think it matters that much, uh, but it is also pretty cool to see Lakeith get nominated for an Oscar for me, just to see the way that he started as probably my favorite character, um, my favorite character on Atlanta is kind of mm-hmm. in kind of a side role to then making one of my favorite indie, being in one of my favorite indie films of the past 10 years and sorry to bother you to now yeah. be the first, uh, in his own words, the first Oscar nominee with a face tattoo. Yeah. it's so funny how he reacted to this nomination because he was as confused as we are i remember i saw a post is like he literally posted on instagram like i don't know what the fuck is going on either but i don't mind it something along those lines yeah but yeah no it is weird seeing both daniel kaluuya and lakeith stanfield in this category because um how it works and when i read up on it and why this happened is because while studios can campaign for actors in certain roles is ultimately up to the acting body to uh, curate where everyone goes where. So I guess when it comes to supporting actor, so many people voted for Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield that they both ended up in best supporting actor. But I guess who, who's the lead of Judas and the Black Messiah then? Uh, Jesse Plemons is uh, maybe <laughs> maybe. Uh-huh. Martin Sheen and that ridiculous <laughs> amount of makeup is my that that genuinely <laughs> nightmares more than anything I've seen in the past year was just the intense amount of makeup he had on as Jagger Hoover because frankly he didn't necessarily need it that much I think he just wanted to go method yeah he looks like, yeah, he looks like... old yeah um <laughs> what that is yeah, odd he yeah, is old say, yeah looking at some of the other nominees in this category again Sasha Baron Cohen for as much as I don't uh my feelings are mixed on the trial of Chicago 7 he does a wonderful time uh he, he just does a wonderful job and has a wonderful time playing Abby Hoffman in that movie the way that he uh talked about I think we, we we've talked about this a couple of times the way that uh he would uh, uh Sasha Baron Cohen would just text um Aaron Sorkin like Abby Hoffman quotes like every single night sort of like wanting to get more method uh consistently like he really just like nailed the character of abby hoffman also again wesley odom jr in one night in miami incredible and paul racy in the sound of metal that was a really really nice nod to see because i wasn't i i was really hoping to see that i wasn't a hundred percent expecting to see that because i think in again in a lot of normal years i don't necessarily think the sound of metal gets something uh like gets the amount of love that it did this year but it was really cool to see him actually get this nomination because he does an excellent job in that film yeah, and it's such a naturalistic performance from Paul Racy. Um, being a actor in the deaf community as well, he really plays off Riz Ahmed in a f- 
fantastic way and so nice to see exposure for this actor because he really is talented going off of Sasha Baron Cohen yeah he is he is the light of that movie it's interesting to think about how Netflix campaigned for Trial of the Chicago 7-2 because while the ensemble is huge they focus on Sasha Baron Cohen because he had that Borat momentum going and campaigned his way all the way to the nomination like his face was everywhere I don't like, that's probably why he ended up here. But there's so many talented people in that movie. It could have gone through Frank Langella or, like, um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen. There, there's a, a lot of great performance that could have gone in the Best Supporting Actress slot, as opposed to Sasha Baron Cohen. But I'm not complaining, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, um, moving on. Oh, yeah. sorry about that. Go ahead. Moving on to the actress in a supporting role category. This this category is a little bit uh, closer, I'd say. So we have Maria Baklova in Borat's subsequent movie film. Again, we love to see the Borat love. We love to see the Borat momentum going to the award season. We have Glenn Close <laughs> in Hillbilly Elegy, which is a bit of a shock. Um, Olivia Coleman in The Father, Amanda Seyfried in Mank, and uh, Yoo Jung Yoon in uh, Minari. Um, yeah, my pick who I think is going to win is Yoo Jung Yoon. Um, she is so vulnerable and so dynamic in this role as the grandmother in Minari. And it very much mirrors that of our crazy loving grandmothers in the Asian American community. And I really, really think she nailed um, the multifaceted just dynamic of that role in a really great way. That is both endearing and also heartbreaking by the end of that film. Um, yeah, there's not a lot about that performance that hasn't been said, but um, shout out to Maria Bakalova. It would be so cool if she won an Oscar for Borat, just because an Oscar for Borat would just be hilarious. But also like the fact that she put herself in the situations that she did and stood toe to toe with Sasha Baron Cohen in a role that he fucking owns already is absolutely incredible. I remember seeing the trailer for Borat 2 at first, and I remember being like, well, will the daughter dynamic like bring the film down? Because often when you have these younger actors come into these already established like franchises where dynamics are already made, you're like, oh, how, how are they going to switch it up? Like, are they going to become annoying? But Maria Bakalova is absolutely bonkers in this movie. And I respect her more than most actresses in the whole entire field, really, in all of acting for, for taking this task on because it's... I would never do that. Ever. Yeah, that Rudy Giuliani is just, I, that is, I, yeah, that, that's just terrifying. I wouldn't even dream of doing that. I will say again, I am, Hillbilly Elegy is the movie this year. I am fascinated by the amount of <laughs> love this has gotten because again, this is by far like one of, I think this might've been one of the worst films I've seen in the last year. I think Glenn Close must have just like seen something that she wasn't supposed to see. And that's how she continues to get these nominations. Because again, <laughs> like how, again, The Wife, which was a very good film when I finally got around to seeing it. Um, the amount of people that I actually saw that movie were incredibly low. And she got a best actor, uh, actress nod for that last year. And she's just consistently around at the Oscars for films that I'm not particularly familiar with. All power to her. But again, Hillbilly Elegy, just not really not really stacking up compared to the other films in this category. I will say that if you'd asked me about four months ago, um, who I thought would be the front runner in this category, I remember watching Mank and not necessarily even being particularly blown away uh, watching Mank. I was thoroughly convinced that this would be Amanda Seyfried's first Oscar, but it is interesting to see that the way the conversation has shifted and the way the momentum has shifted, my pick would also be uh, Yeo Jung Yoon uh, simply just because, yeah, that is, 
it was one of the sweetest performances I saw all year for sure. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, shout out to Olivia Coleman as well. She doesn't have that much to do in the father and the range is pretty limited, but good for her to coming into it again. Um, uh, I just really love Olivia Coleman in general. So it's nice seeing her here her in in the category yeah um moving on to best actor um we have chadwick boseman for marina's black bottom anthony hopkins for the father rez ahmed sound of metal steven young for minari and gary oldman for mank i i would probably uh my first instinct is to pick chadwick boseman in this category uh simply just because not only is he really good he's excellent and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, at this point, it kind of represents kind of a career capping moment for him. Uh, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, uh, once again. Uh, but yeah, I'd probably, I'd pick Chadwick Boseman uh, to win this category. I would have loved to have seen him also get nominated for, again, uh, The Five Bloods for his role in The Five Bloods, because I'd actually argue that might even be the better performance of the two. It's uh, so effective. It's such an effective yeah. performance with the screen yeah, time that she has. Say. But my, uh, my personal pick for what I would love to see win uh, would be Riz Ahmed in The Sound of Metal. I am a massive Riz Ahmed guy. I've been following him. Uh, I've been following him since he was in Spooks. Uh, he's been in a lot of British TV. He broke out over here uh, for a supporting role in Nightcrawler. He's excellent in that Nightcrawler. Also just an excellent film. And the way that he really just committed himself to this role, like he spent, uh, I think he's talked about this in interviews, just the amount of appreciation uh he's gained for this community not necessarily a performative way either just working uh with a predominantly deaf crew and a predominantly deaf cast in addition to for six months in this uh six months in preparation of this role learning sign language and essentially learning to play drums as well uh because he did learn to play drums for this role which i thought was absolutely crazy i don't know i don't necessarily know that many actors that would actually like fully commit themselves uh to this role in the community that it was you know the community that the involved uh, film is involved with and um yeah, again, I don't have any, I don't have much to say on Anthony Hopkins and the father as I've not seen the father. Gary Oldman and Mank is pretty good. He's doing the usual Gary Oldman method thing. I think he's really good. I just don't necessarily think he does that much to like, wow, in this category compared to something like Darkest Hour. Uh, but yeah, I would say, I'd say Chadwick Boseman, probably my, my pick for this category, Riz Ahmed, who I'd absolutely love to see to win. Um, it would have been cool if Delroy Lindo was in this category, but uh, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> no. um, Netflix decided to go other ways, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chadwick Boseman is my favorite to win best actor. Um, just, a, a once in a generation talent, um, Chadwick Boseman just means so much to me as I know it does for like so many other people. Um, yeah, no, there's not much that hasn't been said about his performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, where he plays just like a sympathetic, but also really, really tragic figure when it comes to um, someone who is pursuing the industry of being an artist as a, as a Black man. But in addition to that, I did see The Father so I could speak on Anthony Hopkins' performance. It is a, a great performance. And while Chadwick Boseman has been winning all the precursors, when it comes to the award season in general, Anthony Hopkins just picked up the BAFTA last weekend. So is there room for an upset? Maybe, but do I think there's going to be upset? No, I think that Chadwick Boseman just on like not only name recognition, but the capping off of his career and the fact that he's the reason to watch Moraney's Black Bottom are all reasons why Chadwick Boseman is going to be the winner of this. Um, he just plays an uh, incredible performance. 
career best performance in the role of Levy in that movie. And uh, I am not looking forward to seeing um, the, uh, the winning speech, the acceptance speech for that one, because I'm going to be bawling. Yeah, I'd, um, I'm with you there. Also, just to take a moment to talk about, um, I was really pleased to see Steve Yoon uh, get nominated for this category because, uh, again, just a, similar to Lakeith, just to, to see a guy that tra- transitioned from TV to film acting so smoothly, like starting as Glenn on The Walking Dead and going from being Glenn on The Walking Dead to now an Oscar nominee, a Best Actor uh, Oscar nominee is just absolutely crazy to me because he, he has the chops, but it's just crazy to sort of like look at the way of that career. Because again, another guy, he started on uh, he started on TV with The Walking Dead, appeared in uh, Sorry to Bother You Again, in addition to some smaller film roles. Again, one of my favorite indies of the last decade, um, in addition to some other film projects and is now an Oscar nominated actor. It is crazy to me. And it's weird because you didn't see him being too booked before. Like um, he would do very, very small supporting roles in like Okja or Sorry to Bother You. Um, his biggest role prior to Minari, but after The Walking Dead wasn't burning. But that, of course, was like a South Korean film. So it didn't get too much exposure here in the United States. But like considering the fact that we saw this talent when he was in The Walking Dead, literally one of the most charismatic figures, like the reason why people watch that movie for uh, series for seven seasons and then stopped when he died is so like um, telling of his charisma as a leading man and I think that we all saw this coming but the industry hasn't booked him enough to actually get him to exercise these chops I'm so glad that after the Oscar nomination like I keep on seeing in the trades that he has everything booked now back to back to back to back productions and i'm just super super happy about that because i've been a fan of him like obviously since the walking dead and like we've seen this talent since then like i don't know why hollywood hasn't caught up until now for sure for sure uh moving on to the uh moving on to looking at the uh best actress in a leading role this category is particularly interesting for me uh we have viola davis in ma rainey's black bottom we have andre day in the united states versus billy holiday we have vanessa kirby in Pieces of a Woman, we have Frances McDormand in Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan in A Promising Young Woman. Um, I think, yeah, no, this category is really complicated because um, all of these, except Vanessa Kirby, have won awards in precursors, televised precursors. Uh, Viola Davis won the SAG, Carrie Mulligan won the Critics' Choice, Andre Day won the Golden Globe, which was a huge upset, and um, McDormand won the BAFTA. So I guess like this really, really is a toss up. And based on the precursors, I guess you can't really choose. But if I were to choose and where my gut is based on like, not only how I feel about the performances, but the momentum of the um, products involved, I would say Carrie Mulligan is my pick to win best actress in the category, just because um, she is doing something that we have not seen Carrie Mulligan do before number one and also promising young woman it just feels like such a breath of fresh air and just like exhibits a bunch of new blood and new energy into this whole entire um oscar race really it's so different from everything else that is nominated for best picture it's very different from anything that's nominated in the screen screenplay categories and um i think that carrie mulligan is deserving of this role and this award I'd um I'd being I'd actually be inclined to agree. My my personal pick is I think I think this is 
McDormand's just going off of history and also me just being a huge Francis McDormand uh, fanboy. I was really interested to see who the fifth slot when it came to nominations would go to. I was really, cause I honestly thought it might've been a Rosamund Pike for the, uh, the Netflix project she was in. But uh, so I, I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen pieces of a woman. Uh, uh, I a, did. It's an interesting film. Interesting. I remember right. the, um, the narrative around it has definitely changed uh, because so uh, for reference, it stars Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf. And I remember the narrative around it going uh, to when it was released on Netflix changed, particularly because it was released, uh, it was released pretty close to uh, around the time that some very, very credible and some very, very horrifying allegations were made against Shia LaBeouf uh, from some, uh, from FKA Twigs. So I remember the, like, again, the, uh, the, the atmosphere around the movie and the energy around the movie and the momentum around the movie isn't necessarily there. I do remember, I, I do uh, I remember being very pleased with Vanessa Kirby's performance, but I just think that the uh, like the energy kind of surrounding the project, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to get that much love. Although power to Vanessa Kirby is an actress, huge fan, loved her in the crown. Uh, also again. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Carrie Mulligan, uh, Carrie Mulligan would also maybe be, Carrie Mulligan has a really, really good chance in this category. Um, Andre Day. I'm not, I'm not particularly confident in her chances in this category because also just the way the Globes are as an award show, they are, it, it is probably, I'd say it's probably like the flukiest award show. Yeah. So season. Holy crap. There. Um, I really wouldn't. The, the Globes are crazy is, I, this past year. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I really wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset. I wouldn't be upset with any of these wins. Honestly, I think they'd all be, I think they'd all be pretty deserving. Although I think in the end, I, my pick is Francis McDormand, although I would also could very well see Carrie Mulligan. Uh, yeah. Category. And speaking on Andrew day, I have not seen the United States versus Billy holiday, but from what I've heard, Andre day really, really carries that movie. And the re and she is the reason why this uh, movie is even in the conversation in the awards race at all. Not necessarily like, like Lee Daniels storytelling, but Andre day, um, performance as Billie Holiday, I heard, is show-stopping. So I'm sure she deserves this nomination based on that alone, literally carrying a film on her back like that. But like you were saying about Vanessa Kirby, very, very interesting how Pieces of a Woman panned out. Um, the movie is fine. So I, I never really, like, even if the allegations didn't come out, I wouldn't really see it going too far in the awards race in general, just based on the fact that all the momentum of the movie ends after the first 20 minutes, after that one yeah. take is finished. But even yeah. then, like Vanessa Kirby is a powerhouse and the way that she plays off all these other great actors is great considering she is like the newcomer when it comes to that movie. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's kind of, I feel like we've kind of said what we uh, could say there. Looking at the, the best directing category is uh, particularly interesting to me because we have Thomas Vinterberg uh, nominated for another round, which was a massive surprise for me when I initially saw the nominations. We also have David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. I think this is Chloe Zhao's to lose. Um, her direction is something that I haven't really seen in a long time when it comes to how she captures an atmosphere, how she captures just pure raw emotion out of her environment. It's just absolutely incredible. The, the style of filmmaking that she decides to take on as an artist, because it is inherently unique in today's atmosphere, which feels so 
not that it's it doesn't feel as subdued or subtle anymore and just the way that chloe chow like digs into those sensibilities is insane to me like when i watch her movies in general it's like how the hell did someone have the patience to direct something like this it it is it it feels real it feels like something that you could touch and nomadland is very much a movie that feels that way in my opinion too um chloe chow is just like an immensely talented filmmaker and i'm so excited to see where she goes as a creative like this one is hers to lose for sure but that is not a knock on like any other of these directors like thomas vinderberg very welcome to see him in the conversation here as long as it wasn't aaron sorkin <laughs> but um we also have um emerald fennell who uh directs promising young woman with the exact punch that that material deserves and Lee Isaac Chung who shares um much of the same sensibilities of Zhao as and like really creating an atmosphere that you could touch I appreciate how he's in the conversation with this category as well but I do feel like this is Zhao's to lose yeah I um I'm pretty much with you there I also think that this is Chloe Zhao's uh, category to lose again. Uh, with Winterberg there, it seemed pretty uh, reminiscent of, I think it was two years ago when Pablo Palikowski was nominated mm -hmm. for Cold War, just kind of like a little bit of a wild card shout uh, to international filmmaking, which I thought was particularly cool. Um, yeah, for me, the two outstanding candidates in this category for me are Chloe Zhao and Lee Isaac Chung, I think actually has a surprising outside shot for this category uh, because of Minari's one of the Globes and also just some of the, um, just some of the precursor stuff. Uh, in addition to some of like the press momentum he's generated. Um, yeah, I'd probably say uh, for me, it's probably between uh, Liezik Chung, Chloe Zhao, and Emerald Fennell. I will say the thing to note about this category compared to other, every other director's category I've seen, this is the first time uh, where I think it's disproportionately like not American men in this category. Like it's just it's just Fincher and you have, uh, you have two female directors in best, best directing category, which I think that is the first time that has happened in Academy Awards history. In addition to uh, two Asian American directors as well, which is just outstanding. Oh yeah, no, totally. I totally agree with that sentiment. It's so crazy seeing the diverse nature of this whole entire um, year across the board. Um, when it comes to all the acting categories, there is a chance, like a very, very fair chance that we're going to see all people of color like win across the board with Chadwick Boseman, maybe Viola Davis, um, Ye Jung Yun, and Daniel Kaluuya taking those awards. And on top of that, like Chloe Zhao or like Lee Isaac Chung on the top, that would be crazy and unprecedented when it comes to the Oscars in general. But yeah, these are all very, very talented people here in Best Director. And I'm, I'm glad to see all of them here. And though I wasn't a huge fan of Mank, um, it would have been cool to see Spike in here, but yeah, that's talked about this. <laughs> where we could even get into some of the um the history between the Academy Awards and uh, Mr. Lee, which is <laughs> of its own completely. I will say, I I would love to give a shout to Emerald Fennell though, because again, I I'm not a hundred percent sure if uh, Promising Young Woman is her feature debut. Uh, even then, just directing and writing a film dealing with such an intense subject matter all by yourself, in addition to just juggling that cast as well, is just really, really impressive for, even if it isn't a first feature, just a feature that early in your directorial career. Yeah, and what an insane ensemble to direct as well. That, the pressure must have been astounding. Indeed, indeed. Okay, do you want to say the, the big one? 
Um, yeah, so we have uh, we have the Academy Award for Best Picture. We have The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of Chicago 7. Uh, this category is definitely compared to some of the, not to say that all, I, I'm in love with most of these films, it's just interesting to see that again, the conversation around the best category, uh, the best picture category this year at the Oscars, just there isn't the same level of, I'd say like buzz and attention around it, as we kind of said earlier, compared to other years. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But uh, I wouldn't say any of these movies I dislike, which oh, is, I guess, which is a great sign. But we don't have like the high highs of like a parasite or, um, the fervent fan base of a movie like Joker to back any of these movies up really. But I do think um, going off my best director tangent on um, Koi Zhao, Nomadland, this is, um, this, this is theirs to lose really. Uh, I really do adore Nomadland and just based on like the precursors, the globes and all of that um, best picture seems to be a lock when it comes to these awards, but uh, that's not a knock on like, any of these movies here. Um, I will say that I think The Father is a little bit overrated. Um, it does have like a really, really high letterbox score, but I came out of it, I was like, that feels like an exercise. But that was just my opinion. I'm sure like a lot of people love The Father and, and it's been getting a lot of men- momentum. I, I don't see it getting best picture with that momentum though, but yeah, Nomadland all the way here. My second favorite to win would probably be Minari, another very subdued, um, portrait of the the American experience and um, the economic boundaries that people have to go through in the United States and just inherently American story as well. But as for, yeah, yeah, those are my top two for best picture, really. Yeah, I'd I'd pretty much completely agree with you there. Um, Again, I would absolutely love to see the stunt of metal uh win in this category i think its chances are incredibly slim again i'm simply just amazed to see it get this wide of a claim especially from the academy awards um the trial of chicago 7 being here cool netflix did i again uh netflix did an excellent job campaigning for this movie just the amount i of, agree uh, they do honestly they do uh props to netflix for just the oscar campaigning that they've done in the past five years because they consistently do an excellent job of getting their movies in these categories um, we also have uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, another one that I I would love to see when I just don't necessarily think its chances are particularly high. Um, and yeah, I think I'd probably, I would absolutely love for Nomadland to win just because uh, in addition to Chloe Zhao being excellent and Francis McDormand being uh, excellent, it's just, it's one of the most original concepts of, obviously it is, you know, adapted from a nonfiction novel and everything. It is, it is one of the most original things I've seen in a really long time, just conceptually. I was not really familiar with the idea of van life or this sort of nomad lifestyle um, in the rural United States at all before watching this movie. And I remember like, I remember, because I didn't see this in theaters. You had the pleasure of seeing this in IMAX. I watched this on Hulu. Um, I remember turning immediately after turning this movie off and just being like, this is, this is a part of, uh, this is a part of human experience that I really wouldn't have ever been familiar with had I not watched this movie. And I really love it when I can gain something like that from cinema. Yeah, no, I totally agree what you've said about Nomadland. But it is also worth noting that Judas and the Black Messiah, first all-Black producing team to ever be nominated for Best Picture. So um, props to Shaka King, Charles D. King, and Ryan Coogler. Uh, Ryan Coogler, his first Oscar nomination as well, um, wow. to be up here in that category, this category. Um, 
props to them. Judas and the Black Messiah is a fantastic film. Um, really, all of these, like, I don't really have anything to complain about. Um, yeah, no, I, I love every one of these movies. It sucks that uh, One Night in Miami or Ma Rainey's Black Mono Ma Rainey's Black Bottom didn't make the cut and we only have eight Best Picture nominees. That feels very reminiscent of like the old Oscars when we used to have like very dwindled numbers. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is a very, very solid stack of contenders, but I don't really see this going any other way besides Nomadland at this point. But I do commend everyone else who who made it this far in, in a year full of like uncertainty and um, just... Um, a lot of questions when it comes to the future of film going and the medium in general. Yeah. I was going to say, just like thinking about, you know, uh, just for fun, I was just thinking about, you know, some films that weren't necessarily nominated for uh, many Oscars or Oscars at all. The Five Bloods definitely stands out. Again, looking at these categories, the distinct lack of spike at these Academy Awards. Um, another film that I was thinking of the entire time as we were talking about this, and I was amazed how it didn't get any Oscar nominations, more specifically for its director, was um, First Cow. I was, you know, for as quiet of a year as it was, I was really interested to see why it didn't necessarily even get uh, love in the best director category from Kelly Richtart because it is in this sort of, uh, in sort of this, you know, subdued year uh, for movies and everything. I think it really fits that, that atmosphere perfectly. No, yeah, no. A lot of these films share the same attributes of um, First Cow in the way that they're very low key and, even in the way that they um, tackle the, the themes of just like humanity and um, what people have to go through to find success in a world that is destined to fail them is very prevalent in literally like the majority of these movies. So you're, you're right. First Cloud's um, omission from this category is interesting. And um, yeah, no, that, that movie is great. But going off of that, yeah. Um, th this has been a really, really interesting year when it comes to the Oscars in general. Not really like as much hype as usual. Usually I feel it's like like Christmas, but it's just so weird because the Oscars are in April this year. Like I remember like last year, it was either like late February or early March. Like, it was late like you could feel like everything. <laughs> like yeah. it felt like Emerson Christmas. I don't know. Like in the cafeteria, they had like the little women peas and the the Irishman corned beef, bro. Like, um, yeah, I will say just the, um, again, last year's Oscars are something I don't think I'm ever really going to experience again, just because it being, you know, freshman year of college and everything. It's the first time you're surrounded by so many people that are also in the movies. The way that our freshman dorm just completely exploded when Parasite won Best Picture. It was, again, it was like, it was the it was like the liberal arts college Super Bowl completely just like the way that the atmosphere you could feel it for like the next two or three days just the overwhelming positive energy that came from that little five second envelope uh, envelope opening like it's, it's yeah. something I don't think I'll like again not to say that I'll no, never totally. feel, like have that level of intrigue for an Oscars race again but like I don't think I'll feel that energy uh, for a really long time when it comes to the Academy Awards. No, yeah, I totally feel the same way because I remember when, yeah, exactly, that exact moment when Parasite won, I was in P-Row watching with a few people that I know and, like, literally, the whole entire building shook. Like, people in the back of their heads, like, 1917 is probably going to win because, like, the Academy is so old head and probably not going to give it to this movie that wholeheartedly deserves it, the literal perfect movie. But when it did, oh, my God, insane feeling. 
And you can feel that momentum throughout the whole entire week that all these film students here were like, yeah, filmmaking is still alive and well, and there's such faith in like the future uh, of, of the industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, um, um, that's, that's really it. Um, we went over all the categories for this year's Oscar ceremony. And while it isn't like as exciting year as it usually is, um, Oscar season is always fun, always cool to talk about. Um, I love Oscar season. I love movies. So I guess those two come together pretty well. But um, yeah, this has been the Prism Podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Brendan, for coming on again. Um, my go-to when it comes to talking about like I guess top 10 movies and also like the best movies of the year in general when it comes to Oscar season. Uh, this has been great, man. Like um, uh, drop your socials. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me at, uh, uh, you can find me at Brendan M Walker on Twitter. Um, yeah. It's always a pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. And that's a wrap on the prison podcast. I'm your host, Rodrigo Mariano. Follow my socials at, at, at dragons and at prison media official. Um, thanks for watching and see you next time.